Good afternoon. It's good to be here. It's good to be back. It's become our annual uh, sort of trip now, and it's always good to be in this space, in this room. And it's a privilege to be able to share with you God's word for today. So before I start, I just want to open up with a prayer, and uh, we'll get going. Father, uh, just, just ask for your spirit to speak to us this morning. Uh, just get a sense that the word that you have for us today will be very simple, but it won't be easy. And whenever your word and your message is simple but not easy, it really requires us on your grace to give us the perseverance, the diligence, the discipline uh, to go deep, to listen, to respond with obedience. And so, Father, I just ask now, Lord, that uh, you would do that. Your spirit would speak to us in this way as we hear from your word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to open up with a story of, um, it happened about, probably about a good year ago now. Some of you may not know, I'm from a city called Perth in Australia, and uh, Pastor Alan and Lori have been there, and they would vouch for me, it's one of the most beautiful cities you can be at. I think the statistics say it's about 90 to 95% of the year is always in sunlight. And, uh, and the beaches there are pristine. And whenever I went there, I could not believe that it was a free to go to the beaches there. I mean, the beaches and the conditions there, you would have to pay for in most places to travel to get to these shores. And they were only 15, 20 minutes away from our house. It's along the whole coast. And so naturally for someone who, who's one of the main things I like to do is I need to set apart time to retreat, to spend time with God. Um, and because I love nature, I often would go to these beaches just to sit along the shore and, 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 and think how blessed I am that this is my office sometimes, just to look at the ocean and hear the ocean. I remember this one day about a year ago, I was really struggling to be inspired by God. I was really struggling to hear, to sense what God was speaking in my life. And so, you know, it was about a Monday or Tuesday morning and, and Pastor Al knows this. You're thinking, well, i got to preach something this weekend. What am I going to preach on? I don't want to just whip something up and, and be fake about it. So I, I went to go to the beach to get inspired, just to spend time with God. And I just think of him, I found this beautiful bench, and I'm looking out in the, in the ocean. It's beautiful. The water is clear blue, and, the, and, the, and it's crashing. You hear this rhythmic sound. It was almost just soothing. And in that moment, I just found myself taking this deep breath, and, and, and all of a sudden, I entered into the presence of God. This, this, this unexplainable peace just came upon me, and I just sat there with my eyes closed, and I just was breathing in this awesome moment. Just all of a sudden, whatever was on my mind, whatever concerns, whatever worries, whatever cares, it was gone. I was just in this moment. And you know when you're in the presence of God, when you feel this inexplicable peace, and you start feeling this incredible love, that you don't know where it comes from, that's when you know. And I was in that moment. And I still distinctly remember, it was about 10 minutes into it, and I caught myself, and I stopped myself, and I said to myself, Roddy, what are you doing? You're wasting your time sitting here, breathing in this ocean air, when you should be thinking about what to write for your sermon and plan for the week. And out of that, all of a sudden, that peace, that, that awesome moment that I was experiencing, it was like, it was like the record prayer, and it stopped. And it stopped. And all of a sudden, I had to bring my laptop, and I'm trying to find these notes. But there was this sort of inner tor- turmoil as I was 
experienced that. It was about 20 minutes later where I had a, a bit of time to reflect on this, and I realized something had happened that many of us do in our Christian faith and our Christian journey with God. We put the cart before the horse. Do you guys know what that means? It's an expression people use. And, and it, it, if I had a photo, I'd show you. But it's, imagine, you see, this, this horse is pulling the cart. But imagine the cart was trying to pull the horse, right? It, it's ridiculous. The, the expression to put the cart before the horse just means, means that you, you're doing something that is backwards. That you're, you're, you're putting one foot forward before the other. And, and, and all you're going to do is be counterproductive. And that morning, at the beach, I was putting the cart before the horse. In the passage we read today out of John chapter 15, 5. I'll read it again. It says, I am the vine. And I think I have slides for this, sorry. Uh, Okay, maybe not. That's right. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, if you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This passage, this one particular verse, has been the focus of my meditation uh, for the last two to three years. Since I started this church plant three years ago, this has been one of the number one passages that I often go back to and I reflect. It keeps coming up in my devotions. It keeps coming up in conferences. Like I go speak. I hear, I hear speakers talk about this preacher. It keeps coming back to my mind. And I remember this one speaker. His name is Rob Reamer. He always, whenever he speaks, he always goes, he does this. He goes, this is what you bring to the table before God. Nothing without him. Every single time we do any kind of service, any time we do any kind of ministry without God, this is what we bring. Nothing. And it always sticks in my head. But what's interesting is I've grown up in the church. In fact, I've grown up in this church. Maybe not this specific building, but on this property lot. All my formative years have been in this particular area growing up in church. And I've heard of this passage so many times. And I realize where we often put the emphasis in this passage. If if you want to be a disciple of Christ, where's your fruit? Right? What's your fruit? Right? It's one thing to say I believe in Christ, but where's your fruit? And so we often emphasize on the fruit. If you've grown up in a church, you probably resonate with what I'm talking about right now. Oftentimes, the emphasis is, what is your fruit? So, have you you evangelized someone? Have you brought someone to Christ? Do you go to church every day? Where is your fruit that you are a disciple? Where is your fruit that you are abiding in Christ? And so, you know what that does to our mind? What it does to our mind is then suddenly, oh, if I want to show people that I'm abiding in Christ, I need to develop the fruit. I need to show the fruit. So, where does the emphasis often focus on? The fruit. The doing. But what does the passage say? What does Jesus teach here? What is the first conditional statement? If what? Did he say, if you produce your fruit, then you will abide in me? No. It says, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. Much like a branch that is connected to the vine. We often put the cart before the horse. And this morning, this afternoon, I kind of want to just demonstrate this in one of the more Bigger concepts that we often wrestle with and we talk about in our Christian journey with God. And it's this one word, calling. Calling. Anyone know what that word is? Calling? When you think of the word calling, it often comes in conversations of planning, right? 
when someone says, hey, what do you plan to do with your life? I don't know. The natural question, at least within church world, in outside church world, we don't use this word as often. Outside church world, when people use calling, it's almost, a, it's almost this really deep conversation where they're like, I don't know what my purpose in life is, you know. I don't know if I should be uh, with this or that, but what is my inner calling, right? In, in church world, we throw this word calling around like we talk about butter or, you know, whatever. But when we, in church world, when, we, when the conversation is, what's, what, do you, what do you want to do with your life? Or what are your plans? Some of you, those who are going to college, like, what's, what do you want to do with your life? At some point, I guarantee you in the conversation within church world, it's what, what do you feel your calling is, right? What's your calling? Whenever we use this word, we typically think of what is a job you want to do? What is a ministry you want to do? What are some things you're like? What are some things you're good at? That will tell you what your calling is. And so we often, we wrestle with ourselves. Well, I'm good at this. I'm good at that. Well, therefore, this must be my calling, Right? Who's had, am I the only one who speaks this language? Does anyone else agree with this? Right? So we say, what is our calling? I want to suggest that when we think along those ways, it's not wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong. It's part of the process. But I want to suggest that when we look heavily into our calling as a job, a ministry, a thing to do, I want to suggest that we've put the cart before the horse. And the way I want to do this right now, I want to kind of maybe have an object lesson. So I need, a, I, need to, I need some volunteers to demonstrate this. Ideally right now, I need a, a married couple. I need a married couple, okay? Yeah, I, I saw David and Lena as the first, but I, I don't want to put them on the spot. All right, yeah, there yeah, we go. There we go. Come here. Okay. Now, I have come prepared. Now, who wants to be the one that's blindfolded? You, okay. All right, here you go. I'll let well, you put that. Now, Timmy, what? Right? Uh, well, you'll be doing something. You just don't know what you'll be doing because <laughs> you can't see. All right, I'm going to. Tim, why don't you stand over there? And um, is this microphone off? No, leave it off. I want it off. Don't, don't want it. I just, want it, just need it as a prop. Okay, so sorry, what was your name again? Joanne. Joanne, okay. All right. Joanne, uh, can you hear me? Okay, you, and I'm going to trust you. You can't see, okay? All right. I, I have put a microphone somewhere on this stage. Okay? All right? Now, what's going to happen is uh, your, your amazing husband, who communicates so well and knows you so amazingly well, okay, he's going to direct you, okay, through language and his voice. He's going to direct you. He's going to make sure you don't stumble off the steps. You're not going to trip yourself. You're not going to walk into the wall, okay? And he's going <laughs> to direct you to get this microphone right now. So when you're ready, Tim... Uh, direct your wife to the microphone. Right. Okay, stay up here. Stay up. Stay up here. You're gonna keep that on. We're gonna do this again. Okay. Um. You could go set up. A, well, obviously, you can walk without the blindfold first. Get over there. And then. I'm going to need two more volunteers. Two more. You don't have to be married or in any relation or anything. You can just be. Okay, I don't know your name, but you come up. One more person. Brad? Okay, Brad. One more person. Just one more. Oh, Hang Chong. Hang Chong. Oh, okay. Oh, go ahead. Hang Chong. Come on, Hang Chong. I, I, I know you from old... 
Hang Chun and I go way back. One more, one more, one more, one more. Joanne, you go back over there. You put it on. Okay. Okay. Okay, you can put it on. Are you hiding the mic? No, no. It's not in the same spot. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm going to spin you around. Okay. Everything the same this time, except this time, I need you to listen to the voice of my cousin David, and he will tell you. How to get to this microphone? My cousin. My cousin, yep. My cousin David. Okay, ready, go. <laughs> For the record, that's not what my cousin David sounds like. <laughs> In fact, I actually don't even have a cousin David. <laughs> you might find the drift of what I was getting at there. Okay, three scenarios here. First scenario, right? I would call that our ideal scenario when we think about hearing God's voice, right? We, we, we want to be as intimate with God so that we can understand every little intricacy, you know, like a married couple with 20, 22 degrees. Like, you know, this idea that Tim expects Joanne to know what 22 degrees. Take, take a small step, not a big step, but a small So there's all these fine nuance between their communication because they've, they've been married. They, they know each other intimately. When he says, turn a little bit to your left, he, he knows what that's going to be like. And that's what we want that's the ideal situation that we want to be that intimate with God. That when God says, do this slightly, that we can hear and we do it slightly. Don't go too fast. Don't go too slow. I know that looks like the obvious thing, but this is where you want to go. We want that to be our ideal situation. But as you and I know, it's not ideal. It's more like the second scenario, right? Where there's all these other voices that are vouching for us. That distracting us, that we want to hear God's voice, but it's not as clear. And we have to really focus and think hard to hear God's voice. Just like Joanne had to ignore some of the other stuff to think, what is my husband's voice? I will listen to that voice. So it took a little bit longer to get to the microphone, right? And what was the last scenario? Joanne didn't even know the voice of my cousin David. And this brothers and sisters, is my biggest fear that I have for myself, let alone the church. When we put the cart before the horse, we constantly want to do things, and yet sometimes we do not even recognize the voice of God. And when you don't recognize the voice of God, and you truly want to do what God wants you to do, we can't move. We don't know what to do. And so we try to find our own way. If I were to let Joanne find her own way, she could have broken her ankle, fell down the stairs, I would have been sued. Well, you know, <laughs> no. You, you get my drift, though, right? See, we often want to do things for God, and we put the cart before the horse, but we don't even know what his voice sounds like. We talk about this word calling as an activity, a thing to do, a position to fill, but in its true essence, calling is a product of a voice. What does Jesus say about his sheep? If he's the shepherd, my sheep know my voice. They will come to me because they know my voice. If you do a, a, like a search for the word calling in the New Testament, there's a lot of passages to talk. I'm just going to kind of machine gun these real quick, okay? Um, 1 Corinthians 1.9 God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Corinthians 1 2, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. He has saved us and called us to a holy life. Do you notice none of those talk about called to do something? None of them say, you are called to evangelize. You are called to go to church every day. You are called to do this and teach. No, it all talks about being called to a a particular identity and a certain being, not a doing. The fundamental calling that we have with God is to be called to Him. The very, in one sense, you and I, we all have the same calling, if I could frame it that way. We're all called to a relationship. We're all called to Him. We are all called to be with the Father. That is the fun, very fundamental concept of calling in the Bible. I want to just give you this, uh, uh, this quote from Oswald Chambers. Do you guys know who Oswald Chambers is? He does this awesome book. It's a devotional book called My Utmost for His Highest. I've been reading that for the last year and a half. And I've actually read this devotion about 15 years ago. And, and, and this, I brought it back out again these recent years, and, and, and it's been destroying me. It, it, the, the things he say are so confronting. It's in wrecking my walk with God. And here's a few of them as it comes to calling. This is what he says. Service is the overflow which pours from a life filled with love and devotion to God. But strictly speaking, there is no call to that. Listen to what he's saying. Strictly speaking, there is no call to service. How oftentimes do we say, I feel like I'm called to be a minister, to be a pastor, to be a teacher, to do this, to do that. But listen to what he's saying. Strictly speaking, there is no call to that. There is no call to a particular service. Is that me or is that something else going on? Is it flicking the back or just flicking this one? Oh, it's just flicking the back one. Oh, okay. There's no particular service. Okay, let me, let me I just want to see what time is. I might just pass on this point. This is what he says also. He says, Beware of anything that competes with your loyalty to Jesus Christ. The greatest competitor of true devotion to Jesus is the service we do for him. Listen to that. The greatest competitor of true devotion is our service for him. It is easier to serve and to pour out our lives completely for him. The goal of the call of God is his satisfaction, not simply that we should do something for him. We are not sent to do battle for God, but to be used by God in his battles. And here's the question. Are we more devoted to service than we are to Jesus Christ himself? Now, if you're not challenged by that, I think you should be. (laughs) Here's another slide. I'm just going to kind of show to you some of the things. These are some reflections about calling from Oswald Chamber. Calling is a reflective of God's nature. It's not a reflective of our nature. The call of God is the expression of God's nature, not ours. God providentially weaves that threads of, of his call, Sorry, am I reading that right? Yep. Through our lives, and only we can distinguish them. The call of God is not a reflection of my nature. My personal desires and temperament are of no consideration. As long as I dwell on my own qualities and traits and think about what I'm suited for, I will never hear the call of God. Now, that's really, really strong comment. L- let, me, let me soften it just a bit. I don't think Chambers is saying... If you ever consider your own qualities, your desires, and your own nature, oh, you are one of the worst Christians ever. That's not what he's saying. 
What he's saying is that if we're always focused on what we like and what we think we want to do, it's going to be very hard for us to hear the call of God. Because, I don't know if you've experienced this or not, but whenever God calls us to do something, very often it doesn't line up with what I want to do or what you want to do. There's always some element of going, uh, mm, it's a little bit too uncomfortable for me. And the reason why God calls us to be uncomfortable, because if he ever, always calls us to things that we've got in control of and we're comfortable with, why do we ever need God? How does God ever reveal his glory if I've got this under control? Part of the walk of the disciple of Jesus is that we always step into situations where we are out of control. That's the only way God reveals himself, to be true and glorified. And what Chambers is saying is that if, if we are always looking at our call of service based on the things we like and the things that we want to do, then we, we, we actually push away God's calling. Lastly, God threads his calling throughout our lives through circumstance and direction. Service is an expression of my nature. Sorry if I have that. Yep. Uh, sorry. Oh, I think I put the same. Yeah, I put the same one. Let me read this out to you. Service is an expression of my nature, and God's call is an expression of his nature. Therefore, when I receive his nature and hear his call, his divine voice resounds throughout his nature and mine, and the two become one in service. The Son of God reveals himself to me out of devotion to him, and service becomes my every way of life. I wish I had that slide, but this is what he's saying. That God's nature is his... The, when we hear God's call, that reflects his nature. When we serve him, that reflects our nature. And so what God does is that he weaves his calling in our lives through our circumstances. And when we spend time, when we abide and we spend time devoted to God, and we hear his call, the natural flow of that is our service to him. So I don't want you to get misunderstood that to abide in Jesus, to, to spend time in devotion with God, means we just sit in a room and then nothing happens. The true flow, the true result of abiding in Christ, the true result of spending devotion with God is service. But not the other way around. I don't know about you, but I, I often get that messed up. I, I think he hits a nail, Oswald Chamberlain, when he says that the greatest competitor to devotion with God is service. And he says, it is much easier to serve him to pour out our lives for him. I want to put this in a framework that you can understand what that means. It is easier, let me put it in my, it is easier for me to write a sermon every week and preach every single Sunday. It is easier for me to go to a missions trip and do things and serve him than to process a bitter and unforgiving heart simply sitting and spending time with God and allowing him to transform my heart so that I can actually serve in those ways with the proper heart. It's easier for me to be bitter, angry, judgmental, jealous, envious, all things that you can't see, and go out and serve and think that I'm actually growing closer to God. And what God is saying, no, I would much rather you not do any of those things. Sit before me. Meditate on my words. And let's transform that ugly heart that you are carrying before you go and serve me. Now, which one do you think is easier to do? 
this whole week, I've, I, I've been on this trip from, from uh, you know, truth be told, I'm coming from a season in my church where I feel really discouraged. We feel like we've kind of plateaued. And in this whole four weeks that I've been in America, I, was, I had this grand expectation that I was going to spend time with God and I was just going to hear this booming sound of God, and I'm going to be revealed with all this great vision and things. When I go back to church, it's like, hallelujah, Ronnie is back with this great stuff, right? I tell you what, none of that has happened. In fact, I've, I've tried to spend time to intentionally walk away and to spend time to listen to walk in quietness. And, and you know what's happening? Every time I do immediately, immediately I start thinking strategically. These are the things I need to do. These things got to go. Oh, I got to. Oh, well, if I want to. And, and my mind is just, I can't spend time with God right now. It's so frustrating. It's so much easier for me to plan the next six months of, for my church services than to engage with the great and living God and say, just want to be with you. I just want to feel your presence. I want to feel that love. I just want to know that you're here and soak in that and trust that when I do that, Revelation comes. Revelations will come. But it's just so much easier to do the tangible than the intangible. It is so much easier for us to put the cart before the horse. But let me ask, where are you going to go when your cart's in front of the horse? Nowhere. When I was in college, one of my first jobs when I was still in college, I was... Uh, I worked for this uh, tech company, and, and some of you young people may not even aware that computers used to be built. <laughs> you know, and we didn't have iPhones. We didn't have, you know, you, there's this old, big old box called what's called a desktop now. But there, about 20 years ago, there were, there were companies that, you know, you would build these and put the pieces together. And, and I worked for this company, and I had knew nothing about computers. After one week of working with this computer, my boss comes up to me and says, you're going to be customer service after this week now. We had to fire the other guy. You know, I don't even know, I don't barely even know these parts. I don't know how to answer people who are calling in and say, how do I do this? And one of the things, and some people would know uh, what these are, but these are called uh, motherboards, okay? Those of you who are electrical engineers or into computer science, you know this is a motherboard. And, and what it is, and I'm going to really simplify this. So if you are an electrical engineer or a computer science, please don't hammer me after service. You'll be like, you said it all wrong. You got this all wrong. This is like really, really simple so that the rest of us can understand what I'm talking about. But basically, this is like the heart and the brain of a computer, right? And you see that big square right there? That's where they have something called a central processing unit, which is called a CPU, and that runs a computer. And so anyway, my job was that, see, what happens is every motherboard, depending on what specification of your CPU, you have to uh, reorganize or readjust these things called uh, electrical jumpers. That's, just trust me on this, okay? You don't, just trust me, please. All it is that you look at the, you have to look at the manual circuit board and you got to see what's specification of the CPU and then you got to readjust it basically so that the computer works. If you don't do it right, you turn it on, it doesn't work. So my job as customer service, after being one week there, was to feel these phone calls every single day. And after a while, I got pretty good at this. I think, remember this one time, a guy calls me up, really arrogant almost, right? Oh, I got my little board, you can't work. And I'm going through him, with him this whole process. Have you done this job? Have you done this? Have you got this setting? That? We spent about 45 minutes to an hour on the phone. And he's like, it's not working, it's not working, not working. And I just was like, I'm out of ideas, right? I've only had one week of training on this or so. I'm out of ideas. And I just made this flippant joke, sarcastic joke, like, I don't know. 
hey, did you check if your power is even connected? Like, have you even plugged in the, the power cord into the wall? Pause. <laughs> right? And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> and of course, it's like, uh, oh, 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 uh, uh, Oh, I figured it out. It was this jumper. I didn't, I didn't do it right. And it, <laughs> right? Not even talking about lack of humility, right? <laughs> Couldn't even laugh about it. But anyway, I remember thinking, you had just wasted a good 45 minutes of my life because you didn't do the obvious thing of plugging the cord in. Now we laugh. We laugh at that story. But what's not so funny is that we can do that in our lives with God. We're in a situation and we think, well, what do I do here? I got I to gotta figure this out. I got to figure that out. Oh, maybe I should do this or try that. And, and all the while, have we stopped and asked, am I tapped into the source? Am I tapped into the source? Am I tapped in to be able to hear the voice of God? Am I be able to hear his call tell me this is where you need to go? This is what you need to do. Or don't do anything at all and just stay put and just keep abiding in me. If you are going to accept the challenge of this, if something has hit you today and you go, you know what, there's something to this. There is something to this idea of, hmm, maybe listen, actually listen to the God first. Oops. What's happening here? Oh, there you go. Can I warn you of something, though? Two things. One, it is going to be a paradigm shift. And two, it's not going to be very easy at all. It is super, super difficult. The paradigm shift is that it's going to be very uncomfortable for you to start to, to, to not react with doing and just pause. Very uncomfortable to do that. But what's going to happen is as you do it slowly, initially it's going to feel awkward. It feels like you're just not getting anywhere with it. I I went for a walk. We were in Ocean City last week, and I went for a walk one morning. And and it was this morning where the forecast was it was going to pour at some point. The forecast said it was going to pour late in the afternoon. Anyway, it didn't. It came a lot earlier. So I'm walking back on the boardwalk, and it starts sprinkling, and then it just starts pouring, right? And, and it was weird, because in that moment, I, God was speaking to me about something. Because initially, has, have you, and have you, anyone has ever walked in the rain, fully clothed, and you just, there's nothing you can do, like, you just got to walk in it, like, you know, I'm just going to, I can't do anything about this, right? Initially, the, when the first few drops hit, you're like, ugh, ugh, like, ugh, this feels so gross, Right? It's disgusting. You feel uncomfortable. And the next few drops, you're just walking, you're like, oh, my shoes are getting wet. Whenever the dry spots start getting really soaked, you start initially just getting, like, really uncomfortable. But then what happened was, once the pouring, I mean, at this point, it's just, like, I'm just drenched now, right? And all of a sudden, something clicked. Oh, this is actually quite refreshing. Once I stopped caring about my clothes getting wet or how the uncomfortable feeling is, this is actually quite refreshing. And bring it on more. Pour down now. I'm enjoying this. Get, let's get a whole thing wet, right? Let's just take a shower out here. In that moment, God spoke to me. This is what happens, though, when we 
shift our paradigm and live in this way when we put the horse in front of the cart. When we seek to hear God's voice, when we seek to spend time with God, when we pause to really take matters into listening and spending time with God before we do something, initially it is going to be awkward. It is going to be weird. You're going to feel like this is not right. But as you pursue it more and you gain experience and you see the faithfulness, and that's the key, you see the faithfulness of God and you see the fruit that is talked about when you abide in Him, all of a sudden you're like, oh, this isn't so weird anymore. And there's a point when you go, oh, let's bring it on. Bring more on, Father. I, more, just give me. And when you say that, guess what? The challenges get bigger and bigger. But then you go, hmm, I can handle this. This is what Oswald Chambers says about it. He goes, the initial stages, it would be a continuous effort to abide. But as you continue, it will become so much part of your life that you will, be, you will abide in him without any conscious effort. Now, let, let that be your life vision statement. That I can abide in him without any conscious effort. Make determination to abide in Jesus wherever you are now, wherever you may be placed in the future. I just want to close with this to, to help you. I don't want to set you up for a fall here. I don't want to set you up to think, oh yeah, I'll just listen to God, done, easy, boom, let's move on, right? Next week's sermon, here it comes, I'm good. I, I guarantee you, if you pursue this, you will be frustrated. You will find it so hard. And the one thing you might say to yourself, it shouldn't be this much work, but let me challenge you to something. It actually takes a lot of work to spend time with God. See, we grew up in church, we hear this phrase, um, we're saved by grace, not by works, right? Saved by grace, not by works. So we think we should never work in church because we're saved by grace. Dallas Willard, who is, he's one of the four, not one of the big contributors to spiritual formation, he says this, grace is opposed to earning, not effort. Grace, you can't earn God's love with work. That's why grace is opposed to earning, but, but it's not opposed to effort. If you want to seek to know the voice of God, you've got to work at it. Anyone who is married knows this. You don't just place yourself as a couple, give each other rings, and automatically you guys are intimate. No, you have to work at intimacy. And that is going to be the challenge. For us, when we try to put the horse in front of the cart. So let me just have you close your eyes, and we're going to finish up now. What can you do with this? As I prayed in the very beginning of the sermon, the concept is so simple. It's so simple. Abide in him, and you will bear fruit. So simple. But it's going to be so hard to do. So in this moment right now, think of some practical steps this week that can you readjust in your life with this. Maybe there's a certain circumstance. Maybe there's something that you are uh, been praying for. Maybe there's an outcome you've been yearning for. Maybe it's a simple thing as you going, you know what, I've actually never taken the time to pursue and hear the voice of God.
Maybe you don't even believe this, that, thing is, that idea is even possible. What is that next step you can take in this journey of being able to hear the calling, the voice of the Father? Because he's a good Father who loves you, and he wants to direct you in your next steps. Father, we thank you so much for your word today. Help us to hear you, to understand you. Help us to put the being first instead of the doing. Let us abide in you, remain in you, and allow you to handle the fruit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.